I'm Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly, late to rest. Amid the funeral for a fierce critic of Russia's president, the Biden administration reiterates its support for Ukraine. We're at the White House. 2024 election. In remarks on the campaign trail, Republican candidate Nikki Haley weighs in on in vitro fertilization. The ugliest danger. What Pope Francis is saying about gender ideology. And nine-month novena. Cardinal Raymond Burke tells us about his initiative to pray for the church and the country. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. David of Wales. We begin with the growing concern over Moscow's political and military movements. As Russian troops gain, gain ground in the war on Ukraine, the $60 billion aid package stuck in Congress becomes more and more of a focus. There is also discontent within Russia as thousands show up to pay their respects to one of Vladimir Putin's biggest critics, Alexei Navalny. We begin with our coverage with the president's meeting with the Italian prime minister and their mutual support for Ukraine. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, good evening to you. For now, President Joe Biden unable to win passage of the supplemental foreign aid package that also includes billions of dollars for Israel and Taiwan. Now, today, before the cameras, with Prime Minister Georgia Maloney of Italy in the chair next to him, Biden said they need the security bill now to help keep Putin's onslaught from succeeding. Italy and the United States are strong allies and really close friends. President Joe Biden hosting Italian Premier Georgia Maloney for a bilateral meeting in the Oval Office. It's their second meeting in seven months. Their support for Ukraine on display. And uh, we also have Ukraine's back. That's why I'm urging the House of Representatives to pass the legislation that allows us to in a bipartisan way, continue to support Ukraine now. We intend first and foremost to reaffirm the rule-based international order, defending freedom and building peace for Ukraine. Across the globe, as Ukraine tries to fend off Russia's invasion, it faces a severe shortage of artillery shells, while Russia's gains have been small, slow and costly. In the White House press briefing room, this latest assessment. Everyone's watching how the U.S. is going to move forward as it relates to the national security supplement. But are we going to continue to provide the assistance that we have for Ukraine as they are bravely fighting for their democracy? The world is watching. Russian President Vladimir Putin on Thursday delivered a blunt message to the West, warning that it risks provoking a global nuclear war if it expands its involvement in Ukraine. So definitely there are a number of signs number of signs, uh, rhetorics, uh, practical military science, that Russia is not about to stop in Ukraine. Meanwhile, according to a new AP NORC poll, Americans have become fractured along party lines in their support for sending military aid to Ukraine. Democrats say current spending is too little. Republicans say too much. Now, earlier this week, Pope Francis remembering with sorrow the second anniversary of the war in Ukraine. The Pope said the war, quote, is not only devastating that region of Europe, but is unleashing a global wave of fear and hatred, end quote. And he prayed, asking the world to think of the huge amount of suffering and the wounded, innocent children. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. 
Well, today, Russian President Vladimir Putin walked back his comments on nuclear war that stoked fears earlier this week. During a national security meeting, Putin said the West was spreading falsehoods about a Russian nuclear threat. This statement comes on the back of widespread reports that Putin threatened the use of nuclear weapons if the West continued to meddle in its war with Ukraine. And while Russian leaders met, the funeral service for opposition leader Alexei Navalny took place at the Church of the Icon of the Mother of God, Quench My Sorrows, as thousands of supporters lined the street. We are joined now by Doug Klain, non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center. Doug, good to be with you again. Uh, a lot to discuss, but let's first begin with the funeral of Alexei Navalny, where, as mentioned, thousands of mourners paid their respects. Um, however, uh, apparently the Kremlin was silent and said it had nothing to say to Navalny's family regarding his death. I, I want to get your thoughts. And, and what do you think this signals that such a massive crowd gathered as Navalny was laid to rest? Thanks for having me. Uh, today at Alexei Navalny's funeral uh, in Moscow, uh, we saw thousands of Russians take to the streets. They chanted no to war. They chanted down with Putin. And they remembered Alexei Navalny. This was perhaps the largest demonstration against the war since uh, the early days of the full-scale invasion. This is also the kind of public recognition of Alexei Navalny, Putin's fiercest critic and challenger inside Russia, uh, it's the kind of symbol of, of defiance that the Kremlin wanted to avoid. They did not want there to be a public spectacle of people showing their support for Navalny and implicitly and explicitly their defiance of Putin. But that's exactly what we saw today. Doug, should the Kremlin be concerned about this? Uh, well, I think that this is, uh, again, an important sign that, um, you know, there are people in Russia that stand against Putin's war on Ukraine. There are people that stand against Putinism. Uh, you know, undoubtedly, the, the people that turned out today uh, are those that chose to brave the risk of arrest, uh, detention and beatings by security forces. And undoubtedly, there are more who stayed home uh, intimidated by the Kremlin's threats of this. Uh, it's an important sign, I think, as well, that the Russian opposition does continue. It does not uh, die with Alexei Navalny. His wife, Yulia, has vowed to take up the mantle and continue resistance to Putinism. Uh, the Kremlin may well have turned Navalny into a martyr, somebody who will stand as a symbol of resistance against Putin for years to come. Doug, I want to talk about those comments that Putin made about nuclear weapons and war. Is this something that we should be concerned with? Should we take this seriously, even though Putin walked back the comments? I don't think this is something that should be a serious cause for concern. Putin and Russian officials writ large know very well that nuclear sable rattling, uh, nuclear threats, they're things that are designed to cow Ukraine's friends from standing with the Ukrainian people. Uh, and the, to the Russian point of view, it, it works. Uh, the threat of nuclear war has quite effectively deterred many Western leaders from giving full-throated support for Ukraine for fear of escalation. Putin continues to draw red lines, saying, if you cross this line, I will do this. And each time the, those red lines have been crossed, uh, Putin hasn't been able to back up his threats. He threatened that if Ukraine struck in Crimea, 
he would escalate somehow. Ukraine struck in Crimea. That didn't happen. He claimed that, uh, you know, after annexing more Ukrainian territory illegally, uh, he would escalate again if the Ukrainians tried to take back that territory. They successfully liberated more of that territory and Putin couldn't back up his threats. So time and time again, uh, Putin has showed that these threats more often than not are bluster designed to scare the West into, uh, you know, being too afraid to stand with the Ukrainian people. Uh, but thankfully, we have challenged that time and again. Well, Doug, thank you for coming on and weighing in. Always appreciate your insights. Thank you. Well, in the same meeting with the Italian Prime Minister, President Biden announced the U.S. will begin airdropping humanitarian assistance into Gaza. It comes one day after more than 100 Palestinians died as they rushed food trucks and Israeli troops opened fire. No excuses, because the truth is, aid flowing to Gaza is nowhere nearly enough. Now it's nowhere nearly enough. Innocent lives are on the line and children's lives are on the line. And we won't stand by and let until they until we get more aid in there. We, we should be getting hundreds of trucks in, not just several. And uh, I won't stand by. We won't let up and we're not going to pull out. Our relatives of Hamas captured hostages protested outside of the U.S. Embassy in Tel Aviv. They are calling for the release of their loved ones. The U.S., Egypt and Qatar have been working on a deal to pause fighting and to release hostages. Back here in the United States, a judge in Georgia has begun hearing arguments in the case of Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. The results could impact the Georgia election interference case against former President Donald Trump. The trial centers around Willis's relationship with special prosecutor Nathan Wade, who was appointed to spearhead the Trump case. An attorney for a Trump co-defendant asserts that if this kind of behavior is allowed to go on, public confidence in the system will fall apart. This follows several days of hearings featuring testimony about the nature and timeline of Wade's relationship with Willis. In the former president's classified documents prosecution, the federal judge overseeing the case heard arguments today about a potential trial date. The trial is currently set for May 20th. However, multiple dates have already been postponed. The judge did not immediately rule, but commented that a lot of work remains to be done prior to the start of the trial. As former President Donald Trump navigates the cases against him and speeds toward the Republican nomination, he is facing some pushback for comments on abortion. During an interview on Fox News, the former president said that he has not made up his mind on how to approach an abortion ban. He told Sean Hannity that he has heard people say 15 weeks, but that he hasn't committed to any number. The comments stand in contrast to what Trump had to say at the Faith and Freedom Coalition last summer. But I'm proud to be the most pro-life president in American history. Former President Trump also recently commented on IVF following Alabama's ruling granting personhood to frozen embryos. He has started that stated that he supports in vitro fertilization and he has called on lawmakers to prefer, preserve that is access to the procedure. In light of the Alabama Supreme Court's latest ruling on embryos, presidential candidate Nikki Haley is also sharing thoughts on in vitro fertilization. And when I told you that I had trouble having both of my children, both of my children, we were blessed 
were due to fertility treatments. We need to make sure that every state in the country allows these parents their access to IVF and fertility treatments. In a previous statement, Haley said that she believes a frozen embryo is a baby, but at the same time suggested that the Alabama Supreme Court should, quote, go back and look at the law. Haley says that she was deeply concerned when three fertility clinics closed down in the wake of the ruling. The Catholic Church opposes IVF. A newly released transcript reveals Hunter Biden remained defiant during his closed-door testimony before the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees earlier this week. He was questioned as part of their impeachment inquiry. The investigation centers on Hunter Biden's work overseas for Ukraine and other countries. Republicans are trying to build a case that the president benefited from it. Hunter was adamant when answering lawmakers saying, all I know is this, my father was never involved in any of my business ever, never received assent from anybody or never benefited in any way, never took any actions on behalf in any way. And I can absolutely 100% state that is not just in my case, but in every family member's case. While we still have a lot more to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including shutdown avoided, how lawmakers are reacting to yet another temporary fix in Congress. And we talked to Cardinal Raymond Burke about how he is praying for the church. largest pharmacy chains in the United States are set to begin selling abortion medicine. Later this month, CVS and Walgreens will begin selling mifepristone. Walgreens says the pills initially will be available in several locations, including in California and New York. Meantime, CVS says that it will begin selling mifepristone in the coming weeks. The USCCB has voiced grave concerns about abortion pills. Well, Congress is breathing a sigh of relief as a government shutdown is averted again. Lawmakers left Washington after passing a bill keeping the government operating until at least next Friday. It is the fourth time they have done this since last October. But many are frustrated that Congress continues to rely on temporary fixes while a budget deal remains elusive. This is ridiculous. And this is what the leadership in both parties, this is what they're elected to do is to get an agreement, put a bill on the floor, and let us vote. I mean, for those of us who are not in leadership, we don't have any say in this. None at all. I haven't seen a single piece of text. So what's the solution? So you'd say After- a CR till the end of the year and just start on No, I would not at all support a CR to the end of the year. I would support a short-term CR simply to finish um, the mechanics of working out a bipartisan, bicameral agreement. Others are not so optimistic. More than likely to just do a bunch of short-term CRs or one long-term CR until the end of the fiscal year and probably until the uh, until after the election. That would trigger 1% across-the-board cuts. Others fear they'll be faced with passing a huge bill. Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer are going to use the threat of a government shutdown to leverage their omnibus. Their goal has always been to bring all the all the funding together where they get to write the bill. I am very concerned about an omnibus bill, and this is a bad way to do business. The Senate Appropriations Committee passed all 12 appropriations bills out individually nearly seven months ago, and yet Chuck Schumer has not brought those bills forward. 
And House Democrats continue to insist on clean funding bills. House Democrats will not allow any policy riders that gut life-saving programs and limit access to reproductive care. We want common-sense solutions to fund our government. While House Speaker Mike Johnson says Republicans are slowly getting a handle on spending. The appropriation, appropriations process is, is ugly. Democracy is ugly. Um, this is the way it works every year, always has, except that we've instituted some new innovations. We broke the omnibus fever, right? That's how Washington has been run for years. Congressional leaders say they hope to have a budget deal done by this weekend so lawmakers can get to work on passing funding bills next week. Some House conservatives continue to demand Speaker Johnson keep fighting to include pro-life provisions. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, the ugliest danger of today. Hear what Pope Francis is saying about gender ideology. Plus, we talk with Cardinal Raymond Burke about a nine-month novena for the church. Pope Francis says that gender ideology is the ugliest danger today. L'ideologia del gender che annulla le differenze. Speaking at a conference at the Vatican, the Holy Father added that gender ideology seeks to blur the difference between men and women. He said that erasing those differences is erasing humanity and that man and woman combine for, quote, a fruitful tension. All right, now our world is besieged by so many problems, war, disease, hunger, loneliness. Those are only a few examples. And one cardinal is launching a nine-month novena to pray for the church amid forces of sin. Now more than ever, we must fly to the protection of Our Lady for her intercession. I am therefore calling on Catholics all over the world, especially those in the Americas, to join me in returning to the loving embrace of Our Lady. Cardinal Raymond Burke founded the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Wisconsin, and now he is inviting Catholics to become prayer warriors by seeking Mary's intercession. The initiative starts March 12th and ends on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe on December 12th. We recently spoke with Cardinal Burke. For more on this novena, we turn to Cardinal Raymond Burke. Thank you so much, Your Eminence, for being with us today. We appreciate it. So tell us, what inspired you to launch the nine-month novena, and why do it now? Well, the situation in the, in the world and in the church has become uh, so desperate. Uh, there, there's so much turning away from God. There, the, these wars, terrible wars in the Holy Land and Ukraine and uh, the ever-increasing practices against human life, against the family, the integrity of marriage, and against religious freedom. Uh, I hear it from many people who are, are so discouraged by what's going on uh, in the world and in the church, and they uh, they despair thinking that there isn't anything that that they can do. And I myself uh, suffer these temptations to discouragement when I uh, see what's what's happening and uh, uh, the many situations in the world, and sadly also in the in the church, which are, represent a rebellion uh, against God and against the good order that he has placed in his creation, especially in the human heart. And so I thought 
uh, of Our Lady of Guadalupe, because in 1531 there was a similar uh, desperate situation uh, there was in Mexico City, present-day Mexico City, where she appeared, a uh, horrible practice of human sacrifice, thousands and thousands of lives taken in a very violent way, uh, a corruption of religion, thinking that uh, uh, God wanted human blood. And then also, and at the same time, there was a, a bloody conflict between the Spanish explorers and settlers and the and the Native Americans, and of course in the world itself there were there were wars. There was a, the Protestant re revolt was in in full force. Uh, one bishop at the time said, "Unless God Himself intervenes, all will be lost." Your Eminence, um, how can we? the faithful, how can we participate with you in this novena? Well, there is a, a, a website that you can consult, uh, novena.cardinalburke.com. And uh, if you go on that website, they will, they will tell you there how you can take part in, in the novena. There's an official prayer, which I'm asking everyone who takes part to pray each day. And then I'll be giving instructions uh, by way of the website so that you can, uh, by going on the website each month, there'll be new instructions and, and helps and encouragement to all of us so that our homes uh, become holier places, become places in which our, our Lord is ever more welcome and present. And in, in this way, we become agents to address the, the the critical situation. I also know, uh, Your Eminence, that you'll be headlining the Christendom uh, Graduate School Symposium uh, that's taking place in April. Can you give us a preview, maybe, of your keynote address? Yes, uh, the, the the symposium is, in a wonderful way, is devoted to the, the Most Holy Trinity. And I'll be giving a catechetical instruction, fundamentally a, a catechesis on the Holy Trinity and relating the, the Holy Trinity to the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Uh, for me, I'm especially uh, uh, happy about going to Christendom because I have not yet seen the new chapel, which everyone tells me is, is so, so beautiful and so, such a worthy house of God. So I look very much forward to to visiting the college again and then to offering the Holy Mass in the in the chapel, which was just uh, dedicated this past year. Oh, Your Eminence, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today about all this. We appreciate it. God bless you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Well, the Vatican is offering an opportunity to go back in time. Tomorrow is the Day of the Catacombs, an event that allows people to see how the first Christian community of Rome shaped our faith of today. EWTN Vatican Bureau Chief Andreas Tonhauser has more. Below the streets of present-day Rome, there lies a pathway to the past. Fifty cemeteries, a hundred miles of galleries, and an extensive network of ancient tunnels. These are the Roman catacombs which preserved the living memory of the first Christians. Tomorrow, seven Roman catacombs will open the doors to the public. The theme of the special initiative is From Remembrance to Prayer. It's part of the preparatory journey to the 2025 Jubilee. Catacombs are underground burial places, consisting of a series of tunnels, chambers and galleries dating back to the late 2nd and early 3rd centuries AD. 
It was there that the early Christians buried and commemorated the dead during times of persecution. The term itself, catacomb, comes from the Greek language and it means near the hollows. Yet, despite its religious significance, the interest in the catacombs has waned in recent decades. For this reason, Monsignor Pasquale Iacabone, president of the Pontifical Commission for Sacred Archaeology, has proposed a new initiative to reawaken the curiosity of pilgrims. Unfortunately, the catacombs have almost been completely forgotten on Rome's tourist and pilgrim circuits. That is why I came up with a day during which, like for other occasions, the monuments are open for free and made available to the entire public. I must say that the first time was a great success. We had enormous lines of people who calmly waited for their turn to visit the catacombs, especially Romans who had never visited them before. Visiting the Christian catacombs offers an opportunity to encounter the memories and testimonies of Rome's first Christian community, a journey through history in which it is possible to discover numerous symbols of profound theological value. We are speaking of symbols connected to the testimonies of courageous, strong lives, full of values and meaning. And so reproposing these symbols means helping the young people of today, who have Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, to rediscover the content, the message of these symbols. Walking through the catacombs also gives the faithful access to an extraordinary chapter of the history of mankind. And as Christians, they can revive the communicative dimension that once nourished the faith in the eternal city. In Rome, Andreas Townhouse and Matteo Ciaffi, EWTN, News Nightly. From the Roman catacombs of the 2nd century to New York in the 19th century and the true story of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. Our most powerful weapon is not money, but the limitless trust in the heart of Jesus. Cabrini, the movie, will be released on March 8th. It focuses on how Francis Xavier Cabrini became the patron saint of immigrants. Tonight, the actress who brings the story to life on the big screen talks to EWTN News in Depth. But it's actually, uh, you know, a meaningful story and it has historical true facts in it. You know, it makes it even more powerful and more important because it's true events. Um, and, and I just believe that uh, the, the, you know, Cabrini's legacy should just be very proud because finally a story about her is out in the world and people can talk about her. And you can see that interview right here on EWTN at 8 p.m. tonight. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook X and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.